these kind of people tend to view these kind of people as a little bit doughy. You know what I mean? A little bit, oh, you have faith. You know? Because from their viewpoint, you know, being a Christian is a bit like, at some point, believing in fairies. At some point, you must mature and, you know, normal thinking kicks in. You know, as you mature, get older, and you put aside childish thinking and you accept reality. So, therefore, faith is often considered to be at the opposite end of um, facts. All of the facts, this is science-based, this is airy-fairy, you know what I mean? (laughs) This is usually presented as um, religion versus um, the facts of evolution, isn't that right? Is that where we're going? Yeah, the faith of religion actually has a place in the world. Ever been to a funeral? At funerals, you hear people say things like, oh, they're now resting in peace. Oh, they're looking down on us from, you know, they're happy driving their big truck in the sky. Or they're now happy riding their motorbike, you know. Or there's you know, other terms where they kind of go, in, in some way they're implying that after death, there is some kind of pain-free life existence that they're enjoying. Isn't that right? Unless, of course, they're a rotten cow, then they're gone to hell. Is that, is that right? You know, a week later, if you talk to those same people and about the person who departed, they don't say, oh, no, 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 he hasn't departed. No, he's riding his motorbike in the sky. You know what I mean? There's a big difference between faith and scientific facts. So, my question this morning, is faith simply choosing to believe in spite of the facts that prove us wrong? I'd like to present this morning a series of facts because everything is not what it seems. It can be said that a believer's faith is actually founded on facts. And the non-believer's scientific facts are actually just founded on their own faith. Because how is it that a rational thinking person who normally believes that evolution is what is the truth and, and accounts for everything, how is it that they, at some point in their life, after hearing the gospel message, completely switch and turn over to living a life of faith in the now and for the future. And thousands and millions of people do that every year. And they're rational thinking people. In fact, one of the reasons I brought out these books, anyone is familiar with Lee Strobel's? People read, anyone not read Lee Strobel's stuff? Everyone's read Lee Strobel, that's amazing. All right. I mentioned Lee Strobel's because he used to work for News Corp, as I do, and uh, he was the legal editor for uh, Chicago Tribune, where their job was to 
make sure that everything was factually sound. And one of the main things about researching stuff is that you pursue the evidence. You don't come to the evidence with a preconceived idea of what should be and then try and force the evidence to fit in with your preconception. You scrub all that clean and you start with the evidence and you pursue the evidence to its conclusion and then that becomes for you the proven fact. So that's how he approached his work. That's what they do in the, in the courts. Anyway, so when his wife became a believer, that rattled him. So he thought, I'll fix this. I will just simply do the research and prove to her conclusively that is just hocus-pocus, nothing to it. He thought that would be easy. But after a couple of years of research, he had to admit that where the evidence took him, there was only one conclusion. The Bible is actually the true record. It's the record of the truth. All right. So I'd like to present a few facts that are academically well-proven and scientifically sound. Because for me... People ask me if I have faith, I say yes, but my faith is founded on facts. And I'd like to show that it's not actually faith versus facts, but rather faith versus faith. Believer versus believer. I, I believe that everything that you can see and understand came about because of a super being we call God. And those who believe in evolution believe that all this amazing thing came about. I'm struggling for words. Came about by itself. And this is under the guise of science. Anyway, let's start with what faith is in the Bible. Faith in Hebrews 11 is the most famous verse about faith. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that word substance and evidence. You can swap them around, you know, there's different interpretations of that word, but it basically comes back to the same thing. Notice that it says, now faith is. It doesn't say, then faith was, or tomorrow faith will be. Now faith is. <clears throat> faith is for the present moment. Faith is um, the actual reality of things now, um, that the things that are yet to come will come to pass and be real now. So we go forward by faith, believing that what is yet in the future will be ours, because in Christ it is secure. Now, this might sound a bit airy-fairy, but you know when a, a builder goes out to build a house, he builds that by faith. He starts out with a bare block of ground, but in his mind he knows what he is building. And he knows that he, all he has to do is follow the processes, follow the plan, and that which is in his head will become reality here. It's just a matter of him following the processes. It's exactly the same way faith is throwing the bed covers off in the morning and swinging your feet out onto the floor. That's faith. And everyone lives by faith whether you're a believer or not. That's the process of faith. Okay, let's get started. I'm a bit of a collector of facts. I was talking to um, Rick here this morning. Where's Rick? Over there. I think he's a bit like-minded. We love a good collection of facts. 
So I just want to talk about some, Christ- some facts about the Bible itself. Because our faith is based on this. Is that not right? So here, here thank you. The Bible itself says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired by God. God is the ultimate author of this. Yes, was penned by the hands of men. But he is the actual author. That's what the Bible says about himself. Now, this is an ancient book. Even though this is a fairly recent printing, this is an ancient book. When you think about it, this, is a, this exists somewhere as scrolls, as papyrus, you know, um, the last book of this was written about 95 AD. That's nearly 2,000 years ago. This is an ancient book. It's actually not one book. It's a collection of 66 books that were written by 35 different authors over about 1,500 years. So put that in some kind of context. If the last book was written today, the first book was written at the end of the Roman Empire, at the beginning of the Dark Ages. So think about the time span over that the Bible was actually written. Because of that time span, some of the authors didn't even know each other. They lived at different times. And because of this, this is interesting, I find it interesting, many non-believers have thought this would be easy to discredit. We can get rid of this, just a book, written by men. It's of no account. So here's just a couple of things. You've heard of Voltaire, the great French philosopher, lived around by the time Captain Cook was sailing up the east coast of Australia. Voltaire hated the Bible, hated Christians. He once declared, in a hundred years, the Bible would be forgotten and unknown. I think I heard somewhere where it said there wouldn't be a Bible left in Europe. He said that in a hundred years, that would be the case. In a hundred years after he said that, the house where he made that declaration was the house for the Geneva Bible Society. Kind of like, don't, don't threaten God with a, with a challenge. He might rise to it. Okay. He also said in 1778, it took 12 men to start Christianity. One, referring to himself, will destroy it. That was the year he died. An American called Robert Ingersoll died in 1899. He once proclaimed, in 15 years I'll have this book in the morgue. 15 years later, that's where he was. Lou Wallace. Anyone heard of Lou Wallace? Anyone seen the movie Ben-Hur? The original one. Yeah. So Lou Wallace, he died in 1905. He served as a writer, Civil War general, a governor of the territory of New Mexico and the US ambassador to Turkey. He was a known atheist. For two years he studied at the leading libraries in Europe, seeking information for his book that he would believe that he believed would disprove the Bible and forever destroy Christianity. While writing the second chapter of his book, he found himself on his knees praying to Jesus because of the evidence. 
He could no longer deny that the Bible was the word of God. He later wrote Ben-Hur, one of the greatest English novels ever written concerning the, the time of Christ. Theodore Beezer was a 16th century Swiss, Swiss theologian and he said this, the Bible is an anvil that's worn out many hammers. The history of how the, how the many versions of the Bible come about is fascinating, especially the King James. If ever, there's actually a documentary on the King James Bible, how it came about. It's a fascinating history. Does anyone know who King James was? Anyone? He's like, King James? Heard of Edward and Charles? You know, who's King James? King James I of England was actually King James VI of Scotland. And he was the nephew to Elizabeth I. His, his mother was Mary, Queen of Scots. He was taken off her when he was born. She was incarcerated and eventually beheaded. Never saw his mother. Raised in the church, raised to be king, and um, but he kept up contact with his aunt, wrote her letters, which she never responded to. When she had all the trouble with the Spanish Armada, he he pledged Scotland's um, help if she needed it. She never responded, and when she was on her deathbed and they wanted her to name her successor, she named him. He came down and he became. King, you know, King James the first of England and Scotland of, of the British of the British Empire. Yeah, and one of the first things he did is that he couldn't stand the sloppy um, Bible um, things that were going at the time and the war between the Catholics and the Protestants, and he 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 ordered them to create one that everyone could use, and they did. And it was released in 1611. And it eventually went round the world and took the English language with it, by the way. And, and for, a, for a time, I suppose you could go back probably 50 years, there wouldn't be a house anywhere in the Western Hemisphere that didn't have a King James Bible in it. Anyway, that's just one of the little things. Okay. So all those authors, uh, 35 different authors, they came from different backgrounds and they wrote for different purposes. There were kings, prophets, priests, scholars, fishermen... Books range from outlining every tiny detail of the law to foretelling the future, personal letters. Some of them are very romantic and would probably bring a blush to some people. Uh, some are short and some are long. But in spite of those vastly different writers over such a long time period, there's a tight, cohesive flow. It's as if they are one book. It's not possible for over, 50, over a period of 1,500 years for 35 different authors who some didn't know each other to actually write one book that had one message. It's just not possible for man to have done that. Now, there are no original documents left, obviously, of these things. But then, to compare, there's no original documents of any ancient. There are only copies. And to give you a bit of an idea of how this works is that the earliest copy... Of any scripture, sorry, I should say of any New Testament scripture, is about 130 years. So from somewhere in the early 2nd century. That's the earliest. Um, so there's lots of copies of the scriptures around. So stepping away from the scriptures to something from the secular world, the next most copied 
document is the Iliad by Homer. And there, I think, is about 1,500 years gap between when it was originally written and the earliest copy. But for the scriptures, it's only about 130 years. Another little interesting fact, if you've got all of the other documents of, of, of ancient books, the, if you stacked all of the copies on top of each other, the average height of all of those is about as high as this pulpit, about four foot. If you've got all of the, copy, the known copies of the scriptures and stacked them on top of each other, do you know how high that stack would be? Any idea? Four kilometres. When people scoff, when you're talking to people and they scoff about the Bible, just look them dead in the eye and tell them, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you some facts about just the Bible itself. And the content of the Bible has kept scholars thoroughly engaged their entire life for thousands of years, 2,000 years. Okay. Now, this is a little bit, you know, not everyone fully agrees with this, but I particularly love it. In the original languages, so Hebrew, Greek, and Chaldean, there was no separate numbering system. Um, every um, letter has a corresponding number. I think it's basically like A is 1, B is 2. It works like that. So when you look at, at ancient um, scripture, there's also, it's just a series of numbers. So there was a bloke who was an atheist at the time, a Russian guy called Ivan Panin, who, um, while he was an atheist, was looking at, I think it was John 1.1, 1, 1, thought it was a bit weird, started to have a bit of a, and he was a mathematician, by the way, started looking at this and realised that there was a series of sevens in there. He was so caught up by this that he spent his entire life studying this. And I just want to read to you a little passage of stuff about the hidden numbering of seven in the scripture. If you haven't heard this, this will be interesting for you. It says, let's take the number seven as an illustration of the way these patterns work. Seven is the most prolific of the mathematical series which binds scripture together. The very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, um, contains over 30 different combinations of seven. All right. I did bring in this big book here. Where I've got a lot of my, my, my material out of, by Josh and Sean McDowell. Um, that's worth reading. I actually read this like a novel. Would you sit down and... Yeah, I know. There are no words. All right. Evidence that demands a verdict. Um, that's where they just go through and they just pull out the actual evidence. Where does it lead? Okay. Um, I'm going to just jump that bit because we'll be here forever. And there's some more interesting stuff to get onto. Because I want to get on to evolution. Is that all right? And now I only really want to touch on one subject. So there are multiple theories of evolution. But they all have a common ancestor. They are all trying to explain the material universe 
without the need for any God. Okay. But just want to make something clear is that whenever you hear anything about evolution, it's generally the media telling you, not scientists themselves. What scientists themselves say, this is our best guess. Looking at the evidence, when you put it together, because remember they're not, they can't use science to evaluate whether there is a God or not. Therefore that has to be completely set aside and they just look at the physical evidence. So the theory, theories of evolution are really their best guess at trying to explain. Okay. And they will say themselves that tomorrow may bring a new discovery and everything will change. Okay. So, um, before life could evolve on Earth, there had to be an Earth. Right? So, apparently, this is how theory of evolution goes, about 13.8 billion years ago, there was a singularity, a, a single point of matter which blew up. I don't know why, but it blew up. And in the process, created the universe. And not only in that process, but created how atoms and molecules work. But what scientists can't tell you, no one can tell you, is how that process happened. You know, when you look at, like for instance, water, you know, it's, it's H2O, one, molecule, one atom of oxygen, two of... Yeah. But how, how that functions is monumental in its complexity. There's only three elements in the, in the, in the known universe that um, when water as a liquid, when it turns into a solid, as in ice, it actually expands and becomes lighter than the liquid. There's only two other elements, apparently, that do that. If it didn't, if it, if it, be, if it was like everything else and became more solid, life as we know it would end. It has to float for us to live. And actually, when, when I was looking at something uh, online about this, and the structure of water when it's all together as, as um, molecules, it actually looks like a beehive. Isn't that it? Anyway. I went, wow. <laughs> and I was looking at all the maths behind it. Okay. All right. Okay. So one of the reasons why evolutionists say creation by God is a non-event is because... As this universe exploded and expanded, it's now estimated to be something like 46 billion light years across. That's a fair way. Um, they know from science that light travels at nearly 300,000 kilometres per second. Therefore, they're looking at stars and it takes billions of light years for the star light to get to us. Therefore, when God says in the Bible that he created it 6,000 years ago, in six days, science says that's not possible. Science has proved that's not possible because of how fast light travels. That's a scientific fact. All right. So the bottom line is this. The physical universe is all there is. So all these ideas and proposals are a way of, the of explaining the initial creation an ongoing existence 
without a creator. Okay, and then, of course, the problem was that along come quantum physics in the earlier 20th century, and it turned all of that on its head. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute. Everything that scientists thought they knew about the universe has been proven wrong. All right, so who's heard of the twin-slit experiment? I'm going to look like an expert. All right. So when I was in school, um, I, only, uh, I finished school in, in grade 10, at the end of grade 10. So I, I had done three years of science, not top-level science. You know, I couldn't have graduated as anything. It was one of the subjects I had to do. But the only thing, sorry my, to my teacher... The only thing I remember out of those three years is that light was both particles and waves. And that made sense to me because I didn't understand it. Anyway, back in the 1700s, scientists like Sir Isaac Newton thought that light must be particles, little tiny particles of light. And science has since proved that is true. But in 1801, a scientist called James Young... He thought that light was a wave. So he did this little experiment. I think he got this little, like a candle, lit the candle. There was a screen. He put two little slits in the screen, and then there was a, a screen behind. So as the light shines, it shines through the two little slits, and they themselves become like two little light sources. So you've got two little lights. And, you know, if you were at a still pond and you dropped two pebbles into the still water at the same time, you would get ripples which would intersect. So where those ripples intersect, um, you get what's called an interference pattern. You get bands of light and dark as, as, as um, you know, strong points and, and weak points come, come together. So when he did this little experiment 200 years ago um, and shone through, he got this interference pattern, which proved that light travels as a wave. So anyway... Come forward to the early last century and technology advanced to the point where they could actually fire individual particles of light called photons. They could fire that. So they were firing that through the two little slits and, of course, they were getting the wave pattern. Made sense. But they also had the ability to slow that down so they could fire individual um, photons of light. Now, an individual photon of light can only go through one slit or the other, correct? Are we on the same page scientifically here? can only go through one or the other. But it didn't. It created a wave pattern. And they just went, no, 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 there's something wrong here. So this you know, did a lot of experimentation. And they actually got this detector thing. And I think it's when, when, when the light goes through the little slit, this thing will beep. Anyway, so they've got this little recorder thing so that they could catch the photon of light going through the two slits, trying to catch it out. But when they did that, it went through one. So you got this little flash of light on the receptor screen. So they said, that doesn't make sense. So they switched the little detector thing off and it went through as a wave. So they switched it on and it went through as a particle. 
So this is years of experimentation, okay? So then they thought, okay, what we'll do is we will trick it up. So this is travelling at the speed of light, by the way. So when the light goes from the, from the gun through the slits, and they were recording it as it went through the slits, so they delayed that recording thing until after it had gone through. So if they weren't recording it, they knew it went through as a wave. So they wanted to catch it as a wave. So they didn't switch on the recorder until after it had gone through the two slits. And guess what? Went through as a particle. And they're going, hang on. It's like the photon knows in advance what you're going to do and adjusts itself. Anyway, the, the, uh, the twin slit experiment has been called the greatest discovery of the 20th century. And, and what it's brought out has been mind-boggling. To cut a long story short, what they now know scientifically is that the particle is what they call local. So this is made up of particles. We're made up of particles. And by the way, can I just mention this about atoms? To give you some scale, if an atom... Uh, sorry, uh, um, an apple, sorry, an, an atom was the size of an apple, the apple would be the size of the world. To give you some idea of how small this is. But if you could blow that atom that's the size of an apple up to the size of a football field, the nucleus in the middle of that football field is the size of a grain of sand. Yes. And the electrons fly around in that space. It was originally thought that they went round like the planets go around the sun. But now there's lots of theories. One is that they go in elliptical things. Another one is that they ricochet violently in that space. That means the reality is we are mainly vacant space. And I know some of you are going, that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Matter, as a particle, is what they call local. You can draw up coordinates. It is here now. You know, this table, there are coordinates in maths about exactly where this is in time and place. But waves are what they call non-local. It's not here. Don't know where it is. It's like it's an idea of it. But this table exists... This is real science, by the way. I'm not making this up. This table actually exists somewhere else in another time and place. We all do. Everything does. And what the, um, what the, the, uh, the, the twin slit experiment proved is that not recording, everything travels as a wave. It's not just light that travels as a wave and is a particle. All matter. They've done this experiment with electrons and with atoms themselves and it's the same results. According to quantum mechanics, it is the interference of the observer that collapses energy waves into a materialised state. What or who then is the observer? Every Christian goes... Right. Um, so how does this affect the theory of evolution? 
this is what scientists this is what science has proven okay this is not what christians are saying science they were thinking at first that somehow they just went through but the interesting thing was that the photons that had the wall up and got through arrived earlier than the photons that had nothing in the road it's like they came to the barrier dematerialized rematerialized on the other side there was a gap and that's why they arrived earlier is there any other person that you know who dematerialized and rematerialized again for the christian we kind of go yeah i know Scientists are going, wow, this is an amazing discovery. Don't know what it means. Christians are going, yeah. Okay. If God is real, and this is true, then we have no fear of any hard question they can put to us. Ever been sharing your faith with someone and they say, oh, you don't want to talk to me? I've got some hard questions about God you won't like. Oh, yeah, far away. He's got some hard questions himself. So why aren't all scientists believers? The reality is many are. In fact, I've heard about 45% of all scientists are actually believers because of the evidence. So you still think this is a question of science versus faith? It is. But the science actually belongs to the believer. And it's the faith that belongs to the non-believer. No, perhaps I should say hope. There's a lot of hope. All right. So Christians. So we, science has proven we live in a local, non-local universe. Christians understand this because we live in a physical, spiritual universe. And we understand that. We know that everything is physical and spiritual. There is a spiritual connection to everything every decision we make everything we do there's a spiritual side to that you can't it's not that we can't escape it it's almost like the spirit comes first this is where we're at so you know facts don't tend to make believers they do when they really research it but the decision to become a christian is actually made in the spirit it's kind of like it's made in the non-local field it's made in the spirit. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, the most important commandment, his answer was this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's body, soul, and I should say spirit, soul, and body. We love God first out of our spirit. That's the first thing, because that's where we actually exist first. The, the physical body comes next. So finally, coming to the end. The creator of the universe, of this scientifically extraordinary universe, he made it all and he made us. And there's one message for us. And it's come out of this. And that message is very, very simple. It is, there is life after death. That's the message of this book. And that life after death is beyond our ability to describe it. There's a wonderful passage that says, mind has not seen, was it? Um, 
or eyes not seen. Uh, yeah. Nor enter into the heart of man what the good things that God has got for those who love him. Yes. Okay. Um, but that life after death is only available to those who come to Christ because Jesus is actually the manifested entity of God. He's non-local. Jesus is local. God manifested himself in the flesh for us. And he thought that was important enough to do and then left us with this. The importance of this can't be overlooked. The message of this is it is free for you to come to faith. You can do it today. You can do it any day. And the promise is you'll never regret it. Never regret it. John chapter 6 verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him at the last day. So when we are making a decision for Christ, this is the reality of it. When we are making our decision for Christ and thinking about it and mulling it over, the truth is that he's already made that decision for us. So we're in the process of making that decision. He's in the past already made that decision. In fact, it says that he made that decision decision before he actually created anything one of the I'll just finish with this one one of the great um, marks of being a Christian I don't know if you've experienced this yourself this certainly was my testimony when I became a Christian when I committed my life to Jesus Christ my world tipped upside down it was such a dramatic encounter with God that everything was just tipped upside down. And I actually preached a message on this one time. And I got my, you know, my message all completely done out. And just before I got up to preach, and I was just mulling through it in my mind, and all of a sudden God just brought one more little gem of information about my message. And I realized I had it completely wrong. And when I got up to preach, instead of preaching the upside-down kingdom, you know, the, you know, this is the upside-down kingdom, I preach this. It's the right side up kingdom. I was upside down. Now I'm right way up. That's what happened. So the world out there, the non-believing world, that thinks that it can measure stuff and because of that eliminates the idea of God, um, they don't know that they're just kind of like looking through the telescope through the wrong end. The evidence is there, but they're not allowing for the fact that, that there is something much greater in all of this that can't be measured by scientifics, um, uh, you know, you know um, observing. So when, when, when we become a believer, we become right way up, and everything then starts to fall into place. And it's a, it's a place that you'd never want to leave. It's like, I've come home. Everything is now making sense. But just understanding that there are forces, because it's a spiritual thing, there are forces opposed to you making that decision. Anyone who is thinking about becoming a Christian, there are forces arrayed against them to prevent them from doing that. But they're not equal forces to the force that's pulling you. There's no, there's, there's no comparison. It's like the comparison of the other documents and the... The Christian documents, there's no comparison. 
So if you have faith today, you don't need the facts to convince you, but it's good to know they're there. And when we're sharing the gospel with people, the reality is that we've got the science behind us. We've got the facts. And you can share the truth of the gospel with great confidence because we've got the answers. We really do have the answers. Thank you.